the top four races on for Arsenal. There's actually a race at the top for the Premier League title, and we're going to talk relegation coming up now on the Gooners Pod. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Gooners Pod. I'm your host, Jared Carver. With me today is the incomparable co-host of the Gooners Pod and also host of the Not Another Arsenal podcast. It's Mike Hernandez. How you doing, sir? Very well, dude. Thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure to be back on this platform. I was just telling you off air, I, I did the unthinkable, and that was literally wake up and kick a six-month-old out of the bedroom to, to, to make this uh, time frame. So, uh, God, I hope the, the chat room really appreciates it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a tough time with the wife, I have a feeling, as soon as this pod's over. So <laughs> best of luck to you with all of that. Person uh, today's, yeah, There you go. <laughs> so today's podcast is a little bit of a special one, uh, I guess in a couple of ways. Uh, the first being we finally got rid of Magic Mike. So it's got to be a good one right off the bat. But in all seriousness, we're going to talk about a number of topics today, but not exclusively Arsenal. We're going to talk about kind of the three big races going on in the Premier League right now. We've got what is kind of an unexpected race for the title between City and Liverpool. We've got a really exciting top four race that Arsenal's right in the thick of. And then we've also got what ends up being the most interesting race of all a lot of years is the race to avoid relegation. So we are going to jump in and talk about all those today and also give our predictions on how we think uh, all those races are going to go. Uh, but before we jump into those, we just want to give a shout out to a lot of people here uh, joining us in the live chat. We appreciate you jumping on. Daniel Robert, already giving me static. The week's not over yet, buddy. I I'll be coming for you. Uh, our buddy Dean, always good to see you in the chat. We always enjoy having you. Matthew D'Souza's in the chat. Uh, sorry if I didn't read yours out. We've got a lot of stuff to get through, so I can't get to them all. But we're going to jump straight in and kind of start at the bottom of the table and work our way up. So we're going to talk relegation. Let me pop up here for you. The current table, as we go through these, we do want to take a look. And uh, just for reference, give everybody an idea of where they're at on points as we go through team by team. And then at the end, Mike and I will give you our predictions on where we think these are going to fall and who's going to be headed down to the championship. So here's a current quick look at the table. So we're going to start off at the bottom with Norwich City. They're currently sat on 17 points through 27 games. This is one we may not have to spend a lot of time on. Usually the mark people say is about the 40-point number if you want to stay up and avoid relegation. Uh, for them to reach that, they're going to have to go on to the type of run that we're seeing you know, Arsenal or Manchester City on now, winning 8 or 9 out of 10. So... This may be a short one, but Mike, give me your thoughts on Norwich. Any chance they do the 
I won't say impossible. I'll say highly improbable and uh, make their way out of the relegation zone. I'll go ahead. I'll say impossible. I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a tremendously uphill battle, man. Like you know, they. I, I remember whilst we were on the the Buendia hunt, you know, you know Tom Canton. Uh, he did so like a bunch of extensive research and he interviewed a bunch of Manchester or Manchester uh, Norwich City supporters. And one thing that he pointed out that their point tally with Buendia versus without Buendia was like night and day. Like the 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 substantial amount of points that they managed to save with Wendia in the team is it was just completely in contrast. And so like when, when he's not there, I, we had a feeling that they were going to have a bad season, but Jesus Christ, dude, like they fell <laughs> off the freaking hill completely grant, you know, and we're talking about one freaking player, but that one player that was the clog in their attack and seemingly they, they, that's it. Their attack is just no without him. Um, they, I mean, well, I, let me just t- take care of their their goals. I'm sorry. Yeah, 16 <laughs> goals all season in 27. That's that's pretty damn nor to pretty damn bad. And on top of that, they leak goals like crazy. So as far as Norwich City, man, I just don't think there's any way back at this point. They're they're too far gone. A few more games, and they're going to even be more on the beach than they already are. Yeah, I'm with you. It's interesting. That's a good point. What a difference one quality player can make. But I'm with you. When you score goals as infrequently as they do, and you're as weak at, at the back as they are, they're almost not even worth talking about. I don't see any way they avoid relegation, and I don't see any way they they dig themselves out of twentieth. To be honest, I think they're uh, they've found their level, and they're going to continue to be the team that sort of yo-yos between the Premier League and the Championship for at least another year. So as we move up, they'll get a little more interesting to talk about than Norwich. I'll pop Definitely. this back up. Uh, because currently in the 19th spot, we have the team we we just handed a 3-2 loss on Sunday in Watford. Uh, they're sitting two points above Norwich, so not a, a big difference in the two, but it feels like they have a maybe a bit more of a chance. Uh, give me your thoughts on Watford. What do you think of the squad, especially after just getting a chance to watch them? Well, they seem to be a little bit more feistier, more willing. They, it's almost like the belief isn't sucked out of that team yet. Like even you, you, you saw it versus Arsenal too, like even towards the very end. Um, they were fighting us, and you know what? They were going toe to toe too. It was they, they played mm-hmm. at home. It wasn't like they set up like two banks of four to defend and just make our lives miserable. It was more of a back and forth game, and you know they got that late goal just by consistently pressing our defense at the very end. So, gerbil in the in the chat room. Luckily for us, uh, <laughs> he, they they got that goal rewarded, you know, by a little bit of a mistake by Granite Shaka and Ben White, but. They seem to be slightly more filled with confidence. So, like, as far as that that bottom-tier team goes, Jared, like, if I'm judging just by personality, like, the player's demeanor, like, I, I look at Everton and say, holy shit, they're just dejected. They, they want the season to be over, and they, they, they don't want, you know, they don't know what to do. At, at least when you watch Watford play, there's, there's like, a system. You, you know, you kind of see that they're still up for the fight. So... Um, you know, that might be incredibly harsh on Everton, but at least the, just watching them play, holy crap, man. I, I don't think I've ever seen a team look so bad in their current form right now. So I, I can't believe yeah, you're Watford. talking about Frank's fighting toffees that way. Fantastic <laughs> squad he's put together yes, there. Absolutely. <laughs> but I, I'm kind of with you on Watford. They They look like they're a little bit more up for the fight than Norwich. I still kind of think they're in that same boat where they've just dug themselves too deep of a hole to to get out of with the talent that they have. I, I will say for them, 
there's one team every year that's always in the relegation battle that has a lot of individual talent that just as a team doesn't seem to pull it together that everyone else is looking at, especially when we get into May and June saying, hey, when they go down, who can we pick from this team? And for me this year, that's Watford. They've got, they're not great in midfield. They're not good in defense, but they have so much attacking talent. You look at King, Saar, I think they both have a handful of goals this year. And then sort of the the cream of the Watford crop in uh, Emmanuel Dennis. He's one that I don't believe he's to double figure goals yet this year. I want to say he's on about nine, but he'll probably get there. I'm sure someone in the chat will correct me if that's uh, not the right number. But he's the one that I would anticipate is going to be playing for a top half Premier League side next season. Just such a versatile attacker and, and really the standout player in what otherwise is a not super impressive Watford team overall. But uh, again, I don't see them staying up. I, I think them and Norwich are kind of kind of resigned to their fate at this point. But uh, <laughs> not completely un- out of the question for them, but it, it's going to be an uphill battle. Now, as 100%. we move... So the teams now looking at 18, 16, 17 is where it gets a little bit interesting and we could see some movement. Uh, it's currently sitting in 18th. We've got Burnley. They're, they're on 21 points through 26 matches. So they're two points clear of Watford and have played one less game. But more importantly for them is they're in the 18th spot. They're looking upward. They're only one point behind Everton, uh, although they played one less game. Their one when uh, when Newcastle came in in January and took Chris Wood, Obviously, that's a good bit of business and improved their team yeah. dramatically and also took away directly from Burnley, who at least at that time was a relegation rival of theirs. Now, Newcastle's gone on to put a good run together to where I would say at this point they're completely safe. But Burnley made a made a good move. They they got Vout Veghorst to come in and replace him, which is a, a more than suitable replacement. He's a guy that I heard getting tossed around as someone Arsenal should look at for potentially a second striker. So do you think with the addition of Veghorst in current form, along with Everton's current form, that they may be the team that, that crawls their way out and, and escapes relegation this year? Yeah, you know that Van Horst, uh, he is a player that been touted by my mate Kelly like over and mm-hmm. over and over on a weekly basis because he he's a big Bundesliga nut along with Serie A. Mm-hmm. So he he even told me like, hey man, there, there's no reason why we, we can't look at a type of player for like this it would be like you know low money outlay you know not big wages and it's something that he might be suitable suitable for the last part of the season you know during the transfer window when we were all losing our head that we didn't sign a a striker (laughs) so it's a name that i've been touted a lot it's a name that's seemingly been respected a lot in germany so yeah to your point uh, i could see him scoring a few goals and the thing is with burnley is they know how to frustrate the holy shit out of many, many teams. Not only the, the big boys, right? We saw them come to Arsenal and frustrate the hell out of us, but they've done it to other teams. So as far as solidity goes and not leaking goals, we, you know, we were just referring to like Watford and Newcastle that can't defend to save their lives. Look, the, look, goals against, look at this drop off from Bernie. Bernie has 36 against compared to Watford and Norwich, 15-58. It's a substantial a Yeah, mm-hmm. so... And and look, hey, and I, I will say this completely. Talk about unpopular opinions. Shan Dijkman, I don't <laughs> mind him. I I can't like the whole thing he does with the media and how much he like he almost like he he bitches and moans about thing. I find it like humorous to be completely honest. <laughs> I kind of have a soft spot for him, believe it or not. I want to see the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin Shan <laughs> Dice meme floating around again. So. 
Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. If ever there was a manager that sort of fits the personality of a team and vice versa, I, I think that's it. They're a very just kind of yeah. rough, aggressive, sort of not caring type. And, and I think he suits them well. And, and they're a team that I think has a chance to avoid relegation this year because of it. Uh, when it comes to the relegation battles. I said, I'm pretty sure they're going to go the whole season without receiving a red card, which that would be like pretty impressive in itself, just because they, they have that industrious type of personality or, you know, persona that, that, you know, like, it's almost like the refs are like, well, it's what they do. It's kind of what, you know, so. And and that's what it is. They're a bunch of goons. They know they're a bunch of goons and they go out there from the opening whistle and play like it. And I think, and you see this in a lot of sports when a team is just overly physical and aggressive from beginning to end, it's almost difficult to call every foul on them and give them all the appropriate because the game would never go on. So I think they get a little leeway just because they sort of play that way all the time. And yeah. is it right? Probably not, but they, they know their place and they know what they're doing and they get away with it. So, you know, as long as it works to their benefit, why would they stop? There's a certain charm of not giving a crap. And, and, I agree, and, and, and so to say. And so, um, piggybacking, uh, we got this chat from Olivier. He, you know, he just talking about how awful Everton was, and he, he mm-hmm. also says Burnley has a system. Everton just look awful. And um, I, I mean that that's our next team on the list, right? So this is a yeah a team with with a lot of things going on in the sense that they've they spent money in order to try to be up with the big boys. Like they they wanted to compete with the top six. Uh, they got you know Usmanov, which many Arsenal fans <laughs> wanted to buy out Arsenal, and you know so many things that Everton did we were compared to in our in our you know in our eighth and tenth seasons that that finished horribly and we were finishing out of Champions League and we were getting compared to them a lot, especially when Usmanov recently moved over there and they were making these big massive forty you know, 40 million purchases and like rejecting 60, 80 million from Richarlson. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> you guys mean business. And that all just freaking collapsed, dude, like horribly. <laughs> it's, it, it's remarkable how fast things can change in the Premier League. Uh, I, I tweeted this just earlier this week. I was watching their game and it's remarkable how far they've fallen. But it was only a year and a half ago. They signed to Corey, Alan, James, had a rebuilt midfield. And they started that season with six wins in six, 18 points right out of the gate. And they really looked the team sort of on the rise. Fast forward to, you know, a year and a half later, they've got a new manager and they are right in the thick of a relegation battle that I I think is very likely they're not going to come out on the good end of. So it just shows you how quickly your fortunes can change in the Premier League when, when even the slightest things start to go against you a little bit. Regards to Everton too, I mean, just speaking about Frank Lampard for a little bit, is this like does he survive this if he gets relegated here, Jared? Like, because you know he had that stink with uh, Chelsea, and Chelsea gave him a lot of leeway, mm-hmm. right? He stunk up the place before they they just said enough is enough, and I think that's one of the issues with cl- hiring a club legend, right? Because we mm-hmm. we got Mikel Arteta on our on our club, but I mean, look, I, I think. Anybody that wants to say he's a club legend, he kind of they kind of say it with tongue in cheek, right? He was a good player mm-hmm. for us, a respectable player, you know, in the locker room and everything, but he didn't have that legend status. So if the club wanted to pull the trigger on him and, you know, say, hey, we're going to fire you, it's not as big as doing it to like Patrick Vieira. That's, mm-hmm. that's doing a decent job at Crystal Palace. So Frank Lampard, after what, with all that money that was spent by Chelsea, and then he failed so you know so miserably, and then you know Tuchel 
gets them, turns them around, wins the Champions League. So you kind of notice it wasn't the talent on this on the team at that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. He takes some time off. He comes back to Everton, which is widely known to be at least a mid-table team. And for for things to just drop, I mean, I think their current form. What was the loss? 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 I literally think. I mean, I I say this tongue in cheek, but it's true. Like maybe they could stay up if they only play Arsenal every season. Because <laughs> as far as one win in four, yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be bad. <laughs> I know that that what what a game that was. But um, yeah, as far as um, Lampard's reputation, there. Do you think like where does he go after this? Does he if he gets relegated? Do you think he sticks around? Or is it first? Is it first team? Or sorry, first division team still like lurking and looking at him like, hmm, maybe he's a good, good choice. It's tough, you know. He may be a guy that ends up getting a year off if Everton decides to move on from him. You know, if they go down to the championship, maybe they they keep with him just so they don't have to pay him off and pay for a new manager after taking that financial hit of the of the drop down, but. He's certainly not on a good trajectory. Neither is Everton in, in terms of their coaching choices. I mean, you go from Ancelotti to Benitez, now to a failed Frank Lampard coming off of just a horrible time at Chelsea. It, it's hard to say if he fails here and gets relegated that I, I'm not sure anyone would be really in a hurry to jump in and be his next job. I certainly wouldn't be if I was running a team. But you never know. He's still a huge name in world football. He is a, a legend for a reason. He was a phenomenal player, and and that carries a lot of weight. And, and to your point earlier, I think he did get a lot of leeway at Chelsea because of his status with the club, probably undeservedly, which is exactly why I, I don't want to see like Thierry Henry ever as the manager of Arsenal. As much as we love them as players and club legends, when they come in as a manager, there's going to be a point when things go bad and you kind of have to dislike them a little bit. And I don't want to see that happen to all of our favorites and guys who have statues outside. So I think that was a good point on Lampard and it's why I hope Arsenal doesn't ever go that route. Then just hashtag Derby bomb right here for what it's worth. Sutton United have said they have no interest in high and Frank Lampard. And I mean, the nobody is, more linked and close to that club than the gerbil. The inner circle of Sutton United is the gerbil. That is an absolute <laughs> fact. So we're going to move on quickly to the next team and probably the last one we really need to talk about in the relegation battle here. I'll bring the table back up quickly. It's Leeds United. Uh, they're currently set on 23 points. Um, they are a couple points ahead of Everton, but have also played uh, one additional match. So they're certainly in the advantageous spot in this group of five that we're looking at, but definitely uh, in the danger zone. Have you got a chance to watch Leeds lately? What do you think of the way they play? They've obviously got a new manager in Jesse March. Uh, how do you like their chances? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I didn't get the opportunity to watch the last game, but everything I saw on my timeline, because there's a lot of... Uh, few fellows that are Americans that I know they, they were kind of praising the way they they played in contrast you know they essentially Everton had their manager bounce and it did nothing for them now mm-hmm. for the following weeks we, we need to see how Leeds United react to their new manager so you know they they kind of lost or tied that last game in a heartbreaking manner if I'm not mistaken is what mm-hmm. is what I gather from from my timeline so <laughs> It seems like the you know it seems like there's a little mm in their step, but you know that that team man, it, it's it's so weird for me to see Leeds United without Marcelo Bielsa because I'm I'm, a, I'm such a big fan of El Loco and the fact that he's gone, you know. But um, it looked very nice to the club hierarchy for for giving them that amount of time because they have been in bad form for a really long period. But 
they have good players. You know, it, Leeds United. You know, I know that you mentioned Watford, but Leeds United is one of those teams where I could I could look at maybe like two, three of those players and be like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind them at Arsenal. So they they have few good players, but I don't know. I just my money and my speculation is still on Everton. There's something about that club that just I feel like they've just given up on on life. <laughs> They got uh, the turmoil that everything that's going around with with their owner right now currently, and I just think mentally they might have already checked out. So I'm gonna I'm gonna big call here. Famous last words. I see Leeds United somehow manages to stay up in the first division. I'm with you. I, I think they're gonna stay up as well. Uh, I did get a chance to watch some of the second half against Leicester at the weekend, and uh, while they didn't come out on top, they they lost one nil on a play where they kind of just completely shut off. Lester just moved it back to front with very little resistance. And Harvey Barnes, you know, put in a nice finish to get him a one nil win. But for the majority of the second half leads looked the better side. And I thought you could see a, a little bit of pep in their step. I, I was with you. I, I hated to see Bielsa go, you know, he did so much for them. He got them back to the prem, had them playing really well. And I think if not for a lot of injuries that they've had issues with, they probably are more mid table, you know, somewhere in the nine to 12 range where he likely would have kept his job, but that's the way things go. Guys get hurt. And if the team doesn't kind of find a way without it, the manager is usually the first one to go. Uh, I'm also a big Jesse Marsh guy. I I know a lot of people here in the U S kind of had him tabbed as the guy they'd like to see take over the U S national team for Greg Burhalter. I'm one of those people. I thought he would have been a good fit, but I'm really happy to see him get a chance in the prem. Uh, I hope he does well there. I hope it works out and I hope that leads stay up and he gets a chance for a full season at it. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I'm picking them to do so, but I think it, it could be a close one. Uh, the other teams we show in the relegation battle here, I, I look at Brentford and Newcastle and I think they're both relatively safe. So we're going to kind of focus on those bottom five we went with. I, th- I think we've kind of already got your answer, but but give me your three. Yeah. Who's going down this year? Uh, yeah, we're, it's going to be Norwich City, Watford, and Everton. That's what I'm going for. I think Bernie's going to manage to to get out there. He's, they're going to just annoy and just tie the holy hell out of people. I think they're going to pick up some annoying three points and upset somebody. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they have enough in the defensive solidarity to to stay up. So Sundice, aka Steve Austin, will <laughs> stay another He's year. back. He's back. Yeah. This is one I wondered if we would differ at all, and we ended up following the exact same three. I think Norwich and Watford are pretty much a given with their point totals they have now, but I'm with you. Everton looks like they're in shambles, and in a in a very tough relegation battle, it's interesting in that I think if you just looked at the individual talent of Everton and Burnley and did a you know did a combined eleven, I think Everton probably has the majority of the players in it. But when you're in those battles like that, a lot of it has to do with mental and physical toughness, and I think if you're looking at it through that lens. If there's one thing Burnley has in spades, it's a lot of toughness about them. And I think that's going to make the difference. And, you know, it may come down to the last game of the season, which is what makes the Premier League great is the excitement of even the, the bottom teams playing on the final day. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I like Burnley to overtake Everton, and I, I think they're going to get the job done. And for, for what it's worth, I just something that popped in my head is it, it kind of says something about the level of the league when mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at these bottom five and we're thinking – there's a really quality good player. There's a quality player. There's a quality player. And I think that's pretty cool in the sense if you're like just a primarily just watch this English Premier League, that you do have that thing where 
you know, somebody mentioned Bradford at Leeds and, you know, they also have Phillips. Those are pretty decent players that you could see mm-hmm. playing like and like an Aston Villa team or higher. And it's just nice to have that competitive level. You know, it's it's nice to just go into a game that doesn't involve City or Liverpool and just assume that, you know, A team or B team is going to completely roll over because they, they mm-hmm. have those sparks of magic. So uh, I just think it's a cool part of the English Premier League. I agree. And it's, you know, I think top to bottom, you know, I've always said it's the best league in the world. And I think what you're highlighting is kind of the reason for that. Everybody's got good teams at the top, but we just saw a couple of years ago, Norwich city goes to the Eddie had and, and beats man city Liverpool. When they were on their huge run, I believe that ended when Watford beat them three nil and dominated them. So it, it really is a, you know, you don't want to say any given Sunday, but the teams at the bottom are very capable of beating a lot of teams at the top. So it's kind of what makes it difficult to, to project where pe- people are going to finish now, especially as we get up into this top four race, because there are no easy games, especially if you're away from home. But it is the reason that the Premier League is so special and it makes it entertaining is that we have the, the best quality of football top to bottom anywhere in the league, and it makes it a lot of fun. Beautiful stuff. Before we move on, Jared, you want to answer Moss FC's he, oh, I think asked- Moss FC already knows my MLS side. I'm living in the Chicagoland area, so... The Chicago Fire, my team, they've struggled the last couple of years, were very poor last year. But this year, they, they brought in Zerdan Shakiri, so the most exciting signing we've had in quite some time. Yes. And uh, it's, it's brought a real buzz. I went to the home opener this past weekend for his first game at Soldier Field. And it, it's interesting that it's almost the same buzz if you went to a game. And, and when the ball even comes to his feet at midfield, for the MLS level, it's like Messi's on the pitch. If he just gets the ball to his feet at midfield and turns, you, you the whole crowd starts to raise up. It gets loud. So it's brought a certain excitement. Uh, again, they're not off to a hot start this year. They're two clean sheets in two games and still sat on two points because they can't put one in the back of the net. But uh, he's brought a certain excitement, and I'm excited for the year. And I think the fans here are excited for it. So really looking forward to it. Uh, I've never really asked you, are you much of an MLS guy? Do you have LAFC, Galaxy? Do you, do you have a squad? Yeah, so um, I'll hold. Look, I see your shitty team and say, "Hold my beer." I support the San Jose Earthquakes. Oh my! <laughs> they, the 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 time we made playoffs over here for the first time in ten years, it was only to get smacked like seven zero or something by like Toronto, and then we just we just never had the taste to go back over there. But yeah, we started off the season with. Uh, was it we we drew the last game versus the Crew, and then we lost versus. Okay. The, the red bulls but yeah we we look pretty homeless uh you know it's it's pretty bad right now you know we got a new shiny stadium hopeless is what i meant not hopeless um but <laughs> things aren't looking up man we we currently you know we we have a, a a recognizable manager in almeida who did really good things in argentina and some better some better things in mexico as well so when he came to us i was like no way. I can't believe we got Matias Ameda. I can't like he's a big name in South America. He he succeeded with Chivas in, in Mexico. And I, I was like, I cannot believe this. Oh, my God, this is going to turn around. No, it didn't turn around thus far. So um, a no. little story about Chicago, man. Um, San Jose Earthquake used to play in like in Buckshaw Stadium. I think it was maybe you could fit 5000 people in the stadium. <laughs> and that was the first Quakes game that I convinced myself to go to because Chicago Fire was visiting with a certain ex-Arsenal player. And when I was like, wait a minute, I get to watch the Umberg live. I'm like, 
I'm fucking going. There and then go. the very next one after that, the next time I went to a San Jose earthquake game was New York was visiting and they had the King. They and I'm like, I, I gotta go. And, and after that I started going and meeting people and here I am a season ticket holder. And um, if you're not a season ticket holder, you're not proper, Jared. That's what I have to say. <laughs> well, at least not yet. I'm not proper. I have a wedding to pay for. So maybe next year on the season. You're tickets. not going to be proper for a while then, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. All right. So I don't want to get caught up on MLS too much. The season just started and I could talk about it all day, but we got a lot of Premier League stuff to get into. And no one jumped on the Gooners pod to hear me go on for 45 minutes about the Chicago fire and our outlook for this year. <laughs> so we started at the bottom of the league and I think next we're going to jump to the top. We'll save kind of the interesting Arsenal talk and the top four race for last. Uh, the title race, we'll put up the top of the table here. It, it really, for me, there's a, a two team race for the title. Chelsea's there, but I, I don't really I like their chances. Risk. Yeah. I, I, I don't think generous. we're going <laughs> to see much from them. They, they've made the list just, just to make the list, but I don't think there's a whole lot to, uh, to cover with them. So before you give your prediction for who's going to win the league, give me just your general thoughts on City and Liverpool. Uh, City does currently sit three points above them, but they do play a game at the Etihad, so they have a head-to-head still. When City went 10 points, I think, clear back in December, I just assumed the title race was over and mm-hmm. that they weren't going to lose enough points to where it would even you know, come to anything exciting. But they've had a couple slip-ups. Liverpool's been strong, and now we've actually got a real race for the title. Uh, so give me your thoughts on both teams before you give me your prediction on who's going to take it. Um, outstanding the both of them, first and foremost, um, in both very, very different styles of playing too, right? Because you got Manchester City will, and, and I bet this word, I guess, will play, will play 300,000 passes in, in your area. <laughs> and then, boop, there you go. They scored a goal. And they make it look lo- so effortlessly. It's mm-hmm. just absolutely ridiculous. Like, I know that Manchester United, they're, they're not the, the bar in which to, to measure a good defensive team currently, but like some of the shit that they did to them was like the goals were just like tap ins, dude. Like mm-hmm. a good friend of mine said some of their goals were the most Arsenal goals not scored by Arsenal in the sense that <laughs> they just pick apart a team and they find these openings. And it's just what they do is really amazing. All that said, I will say this. They bore the holy shit out of me. Mm hmm. Like their buildup is so slow, dude. And I'm just kind of like, can can you go at him? And then you got the other side of the coin. You got Liverpool, who, you know, they're, they're right back and left back were just auxiliary wingers. And they play with two <laughs> defenders. And, you know, they play like 2-4-4 four, four, or, you know, two, some some crazy shit like that because they're so offensive. And um, both teams are healthy. So I, I'm it, it's a real big toss-up. I mean, similar to some of our head on games that we have versus our own rivals versus on top four race um that that etihad game is going to be just absolutely insane but i'm still betting on on city to to just edge liverpool on that end so currently they, they got what two i think it's only um six points difference but as far as a uh, goal differential just to make things even more interesting liverpool i mean uh city sit at 50 and liverpool at 51 so we're looking at a potential, you know, if City manages to lose two games, we're, we're looking at a title that could be defined by goals, which is just absolutely insane. So um, just two beautiful teams, man. And, and 
you know, while we're on the Liverpool thing, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. And I, I, you know, I have, I didn't get the chance. I haven't got the chance to say this on a podcast, but you know what? It hurts me a little bit more when Liverpool wins. And I'll, and I'll tell you why, because city, I could always rely, even though they they're doing things very, very well. I could still say they, they bought into that success. Mm-hmm. Now, Liverpool was maybe not in the situation we were as far as contracts, but talent wise, they, they they had some really tough years right there and they spent a few years you know outside of champions league and, and all that so for them to turn that that club around and acquire you know specific players and sell really high and essentially overlap arsenal mm-hmm. um when they won the title that that gave me the owies because i'm like i'm like fuck if we only had competent human beings at arsenal we could also do that. And yeah, so and there's always people... a little owie moment when they, they when they win the league. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess my bias is going to show and, and say, <laughs> but yeah, just two incredible teams then. Yeah. And I'm with you. And they have people in charge who are willing to make a tough decision because Coutinho was one of the top players in the Prem at the time. And the decision to sell him, I think was unpopular with a lot of people. You're letting go of an absolute superstar and they turn that money around. They bring in Van Dyke. They bring in Allison, and you know, kind of the rest is history. They've turned into a, a dominant force. As far as those two teams, for me, I'm kind of leaning the other way. I think it's very possible Liverpool is going to make a run at them. Uh, the head-to-head game while it's at the Etihad, for me, Liverpool's advantage at Anfield would be a bigger advantage than City has at home. I feel like it plays more of a role uh, for Liverpool than it does City. In general, I'm with you. I acknowledge City's an incredible football team. What they do is very difficult, but I don't enjoy watching them. In most cases, they're just not a fun, exciting game to watch. It's very rare that I would select theirs of all the games available and turn it on. Uh, that said, this is one I will be watching when them and Liverpool hook up. I believe it's early April. That's going to be a good one. And Liverpool's going to put them to the test. They've gained on them in the table over the last couple of months. And in terms of the squads, uh, Liverpool went out and signed Luis Diaz, who's a very talented attacker, and you're adding him to already one of the most dangerous attacks in the world. And on the other side, Liverpool, the, or I'm sorry, City, the primary difference in their roster right now, at least, is the news that Ruben Diaz may be out four or five weeks. He's got, a, I believe, a hamstring injury. And they're a team that, despite their defensive record, I know they don't give up many goals. I don't find them to be as dominant of a defensive team as maybe the numbers would suggest, I think their goals conceded looks good because they only defend about 20% of the game and they always have the ball. Uh, I think if you put them defending with the same amount of time as a lot of other teams, not that they would be poor, but I don't think they would stand out quite as much and losing kind of their their captain of that back line and Ruben Diaz, uh, I think could play a role and, and be kind of detrimental. So it's going to be a close one for sure, which is great. You know, we all love an exciting title race. We'd prefer to be in it. Maybe in, a, maybe in the coming years. But I'm going to go the other way from you on this one. I'm kind of leaning Liverpool. Not that I want them to win it for kind of the same reason you highlighted is, you know, you can, everybody's more accepting, I think, when City wins because we just say, well, they bought it and we move along. But I, I think Liverpool might find a way to get it done. It, it's going to be very close, but I think they've potentially got it in them to, to make the run. And I'm, look, if, if we're just basing it just on names, right? Um, and you know, for form plays a massive part, but if we're just mm-hmm. basing it on names, if you're looking at Liverpool, they, they still have to visit Arsenal, 
they have to play Manchester United, which look, I don't know what Manchester United you're going to receive that that week, right? You never know. I don't think Liverpool is scared of that one. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, you know, they got to visit Aston Villa. They got to visit Newcastle, uh, which, you know, may or may not be at the beach by the time they're playing. Right. And then uh, other than that, you know, they they got Everton. Imagine them being the ones to to put the final blow on them. Oh, they, they also play Spurs, who... You know, for one reason or another, they they could lose against Watford one day and then beat Manchester City the next day, which is just absolutely insane. But if, on the flip side, if you look at Manchester City and their games, for the most part, they're done with the big names, so to say, right? Other than the Liverpool game, because after that, like I don't want to say they're playing for nothing, but like Crystal Palace, Brighton. You know, let me see. Crystal Palace, they're they're mid table. They're not going to go down. They're not they're not going to qualify for Europa currently. Then you got Newcastle that most likely will be saved because it's not until May. Aston Villa, it's going to be a mid table team. West Ham towards the end of the season, maybe potentially they'll be fighting for top six, depending on how they do. You know, they're playing against the Wolves that seemingly we just dismantled. We destroyed the poor bastards after we threw those fireworks <laughs> when we beat them. We did the double over them. You know. So I, I look if I'm just looking at the calendar and looking at just, you know, p- banana skins that they could potentially slip on. I'm saying Liverpool might potentially have a little bit more of a difficult run. So, you know, obviously he has to play uh, at that's tricky Reds at the at the Emirates. And, uh, you know, we're going to beat them and then qualify for top four. And, you know, we're going to have a feel good moment. I'm going to shut up now. Is what I'm gonna do, hey, Jared. <laughs> the Emirates has turned into a it's turned into a difficult place to come get yes. three points. It really has. We've we've seen a pretty good improvement in that area. Now, is Liverpool terrified to come in and play us? Probably not. But uh <laughs> we've definitely seen some improvements. So we're moving in the right direction, and that that would be a defining game. If Arsenal got any sort of result, whether it be a win or a draw against Liverpool, yeah, that really is gonna have a pretty big impact on the top four race. Now, as we talk about the top four race, I know you mentioned Tottenham there. We're going to move forward and talk about that section uh, of the table because it it's going to be a pretty competitive run coming in. Uh, I'll pop it up on the screen here. Wolves, as you said, I think we dismantled to the point that they might not be really in this anymore. But regardless of the order here, I'm going to start with, with West Ham. They're currently sat on 45 points. Uh, so they're three points behind Arsenal, but they've also played three more games they seem like the one that would be the the least likely to move forward. I, I sort of bring them up in this conversation the same way I bring up Norwich in the relegation battle. They're in it, so I'll give them a shout. But for me, it's just too big of a hill to climb. Do, do you think West Ham has it in them to, to make any sort of run for the final UCL spot? I think they ran out of gas, and, and maybe staying in these cup competitions might have done them a little bit more harm mm-hmm. than good. And, as, and look... I, I would have really liked to be in the League Cup longer. I would have really liked to be in the FA Cup longer. But looking at our squad, seeing how thin it is, um, staying competitive in this league, and not only that, having to catch up on games, I think it's going to be a, a really big battle for some of them. So they've already played their games, and they seem like they're starting to tire out. They already have a really thin squad, um, a squad that's – Look at at the very least, we we get to swap out, you know, Pepe Smith Rowe, you know, Rob mm-hmm. Holden could do a, a decent job, you know, however you want to interpret that, and and at least we have some type of rest amongst the, the, the games, and but 
that West Ham team seems very depleted as far as quality goes. After the starting 11, there's a massive drop in quality if you look at the bench. So, yeah, they're going to have a really tough time. I, I I can see them dropping more points. And if we're just going on based on form and talent, I think only Wolves could – if Wolves doesn't like snap out of whatever the hell they're doing right now, they might grant them a, a chance in the top six, if you will. But um, mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, I, I think they're dependent on what Wolves do or do not do because we're looking at just a simply like talent roster. Wolves got them beat um, in the majority of positions, in my opinion. And they also have a certain Portuguese midfielder that I would I would like to see at uh, the carpet, if you will. You and I both. He was on the top of my list last summer. I wish he was playing for us right now. But as far as West Ham, I think I'm with you. They just seem a little bit depleted and like they're running out of gas. It's just been kind of a slow decline. They were in fourth early in the year and they just kind of step by step dropped down. And what I will say, being behind Arsenal with three more games played, if that was the only team in front of them, you know, you could say that there's a chance they have a lot of things go their way and and sort of bridge that gap. But the fact that Tottenham and United are also in between, they're also in a better position than them. I think it's just to the point where they would need every single game to kind of fall their way. And like you said, playing in those cup competitions longer, I think has not done them any favors. I mean, you know, I'm as much of a silver lining guy as anybody. I would much rather Arsenal currently be playing in Europe, being in the cup competitions and playing for trophies. But if you want to look at taking a positive from that there, there's no way that you could say that Arsenal hasn't benefited greatly from having the, added rest and fitness that some of these other teams, especially like West Ham don't have as, as thin as their squad is. So next up, I'm going to talk about the team currently sat in seventh. Although I would say, I think they have the, or or they're the most dangerous to Arsenal's four position currently sat on 45 points, Tottenham Hotspur. They played one more game than us and are three points behind. And we do still have a very important North London Derby to be scheduled. So, like I said, to to me, they're the dangerous team. The way they play would lend that they could potentially make a run. They've got a lot of talent. And Manchester United is is faltering a bit. I mean, do you look at it the same way? Do you think Spurs are the biggest threat to Arsenal currently in the top four race? Yeah, it it seems, look, they're going through a really bad patch right now, but it seems like they're hauling in the same direction versus Mm -hmm. Manchester United have a ton of crap going on. Like, you know, I... I listened to Ars blog earlier today. It's it's a small podcast. You guys might have to Google search it. It's not too. So for you Arsenal fans, I'm sorry. They'll um, appreciate you shouting them out on this podcast, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, there it's it's going to mean a lot to Andrew and James. You know, you're you're welcome, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> but um, jokes aside, uh, James brought up the fact that you know like there was a little bit more to the whole Ronaldo not being there. It, it there's mm-hmm. like differing stories that he might have found out that he wasn't in the starting 11 and like he and and then you know the other side is like oh no he was injured but then even injured he caught a flight and left the city apparently and so (laughs) it seems like look you you wouldn't think that adding Ronaldo to a team would have a a bad you know a a bad thing happen but dude he seems to have just messed up the balance of that team it's it's kind of like you you can't force Bruno Fernandes and him together in the same team and just say like, Hey, work it out. This is going to work. And it seems that backfired on them. And furthermore, I mean, I guess it's almost like the players are almost thinking, I don't need to convince this guy because he's not going to be my manager. Just knowing he's interim. 
mean, mm-hmm. there's a slim chance, right, that the the contract when if I read the article correctly, they said there's an opportunity for him to become manager, but ultimately he doesn't want it. Like he, he I think that opportunity's gone. Yeah. yeah. I think it's in there, so, but we're not gonna see it. He'll be in more of a front office role next year, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, so that's dangerous in itself, but on, mm-hmm. on current form right now. You you got the the Greenwood thing going off off the field, which only hindered their attack, um, you know. And, and their defense is like McGuire is you know dummying balls through his legs for attackers, and it's it's a real dude. You know, guys, I mean, glorious. Not to plug, not, not to I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna plug another real small podcast, uh, a, a small podcast that I run, not another Arsenal podcast that you mentioned earlier today. We spoke about. United them quite frankly more than we did Arsenal last night but it's just they are us four or five years ago mm-hmm. and we highlighted a few of their contracts and so many of their stars are on two three hundred plus and there's so and a lot many of other stars running down their aging contract. players yeah aging players um players that are leaving at the end of this season like we we, we were speaking about uh, Pogba like he's gonna leave for free like, listen, I'm not going to say that the media doesn't portray them like they, they do Arsenal, because quite frankly, I Google search Arsenal every day. I don't Google search Manchester United. So I don't know what's being written by them. Everybody I follow on Twitter, 99% of them are Arsenal fans. So I can't say that United aren't getting beat up for that. But a Pogba at 28, I believe, so he'll be 29. He still has some games in his in his legs. So the fact that he's leaving for free is just bonkers <laughs> it's brutal a player like that that's worth north of 50 million to, to have him walk out the door for nothing when the rest of your team in sh- is in shambles that's the type of thing that everyone criticized arsenal for not selling well letting players leave on a free and they're doing it sort of to the nth degree with a super talented player who's currently in his prime and for me the problem with united and, and they have a number of them they have a lot of big personalities who mm-hmm. in a squad that's playing well, they're a bunch of front runners. They're a bunch of fair weather players. If their squad's playing well, they're going to look like world beaters, but they're also a bunch of what I call finger pointers. As soon as things go bad, uh, I'll give you an example in the, the Arsenal game. When, of the world. Yeah. When, when Gabriel gave up that easy <laughs> goal two games ago, just absolutely yeah. gifts the team, the ball, it goes in Aaron Ramsdale's over there, patting him on the back saying, Hey, let's go. We're good. When you watch United play anything that doesn't go their way, everybody's pointing at everyone else. There's nobody taking responsibility. And it shows you have a lot of players with a poor attitude. Bruno Fernandes is a fantastic talent. If you put him in a team that's playing well, he's going to look like an absolute superstar, bags of goals, bags of assists, everything's good. But as soon as things falter, he's the first one that has that crybaby mentality that he wants to blame everyone else for not making him look good. And when you get a team that has... One guy like that, you can sort of work around it. Two guys, it gets more difficult. They've got a handful of them, and it's starting to add up pretty quickly. And for all of us, it's glorious to watch because they are absolutely falling apart, and we all love to see it. They've also, in terms of the top four race, they're still in Champions League right now. They've got two strikers that have a combined age of like 112 that are both (laughs) injured or supposedly injured who aren't readily available. Greenwood's out for I would guess the long term and Rashford sort of been alienated a little bit it feels like in the last couple of weeks so they went from a team with a, a really quality attack to now looking pretty thin in some really important areas along with the defense playing poorly um, I, I tweeted before the City game I felt like it was one that if City 
went out and beat them pretty good and handedly and made them look bad. It could be sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for United and they may fall way off. You know, whether or not that happens, it's kind of a wait and see, but it certainly has that feel to it that they're just not in the race anymore. And, you know, that that's great for Arsenal, not just because we dislike them strongly, but, you know, they're still on points. They're still right there in the race and they're a dangerous team and we still have to play them again. But all the struggles they have certainly look to be sort of advantageous for us right now and trending a good direction if if you're a fan of Arsenal or Tottenham or West Ham, really, who's still in the battle for a European spot. And then here, an interesting point on the top four races that Manchester mm-hmm. United, Spurs, and Arsenal, we still all have to play each other. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, United, Spurs are about to play. And I, I think, look, I, if I'm being diplomatic, a tie would be the best mm-hmm. outcome for us. I still hope that Spurs lose, obviously, um, because they're Spurs. And <laughs> my my disdain for Spurs outweighs uh, United. So, um, I, you know, and I, I've often said that, that um, I think it's a generational thing, but I have more hatred with like Spurs, Chelsea, United. I, I guess those would be my top three in no particular order. Then I do pull because like with Liverpool, I didn't, I didn't live in the eighties. So mm-hmm. when any, anything goes bad with those teams, I'm, I'm a happy camper. And currently, Chelsea's going through it are going to be going through it very soon. You know, Spurs are going, going through it with their manager publicly saying no manager could make them irrelevant. And then you got, you know, United for all the things that we just mentioned. It's it's a fun time to be an arsenal. Like if you, if you enjoy banter and bantering up other fans, Mm -hmm. it's a fun time to be an arsenal fan right now. I mean, we've taken enough of it in over the last three or four years. It's only right that we take the opportunity to give it back oh, yeah. to them when when they're doing things they are now. But speaking of Arsenal, we're talking about the top four race. I'm, I'm not sure who's currently in fourth. Let me see if we've got it on the graphic here. Mm, looks like so, so nice. I guess it's it looks like it's Arsenal. Not a bad spot to be in. You know, we're sort of in the catbird seat right now. There's a lot of games yeah. to play. And, and like you said, a lot of head-to-head. So it's pretty volatile and could move back and forth pretty quickly. But we've taken 25 points of the last 30 available in the league. United's faltered a bit, taking a draw at Watford. You got to feel good about Arsenal's chances right now. I am feeling amazing about Arsenal chances right now. And um, I, I will, you know, speaking about the, the game in hand, or well, the game in hands for one, let me tell you, it's substantially better to have a game in hands and be above those you have mm-hmm. the game in hands versus then versus <laughs> trailing. Remember, like a few, a few, like a few, maybe like a month ago, Spurs were trailing, trailing everybody, but everybody was like, "We got three games in hand," and they're like, they finished the position below after those three games in hand. So the fact that we're above everybody mm-hmm. in 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 that top four, and then we have three games in hand. It, it puts us in a really privileged position. Now, speaking about Arsenal specifically, I always go back to this. I'm always slightly worried about the youth in our team. And maybe it's just paranoia. I'm not I'm like, I don't want to allow myself to, to like dream and be happy because we've been through so many some rough patches the last couple of years. But I look at a game like Watford and I think to myself, you know, I felt like the team didn't get out of, you know, first, first gear. Right. And I think they got themselves into a pickle where if they would have played with a little bit more intensity, like they did versus wolves or like even that Manchester city game, like you almost saw the level of our, our team and the players kind of go up a little bit. And, and I think Mm -hmm. at times them being young, as much as the manager might be saying, Hey, 
mofos concentrate, they might get a little bit overwhelmed. And I, and I think we saw that a lot at the beginning of the season when we were like holding on for your dear life of like a one zero game, or we would score and it was like, Holy shit, Holy shit. We scored. And then next thing you know, they tied. And it's like, it's look, there's this great quote, in my opinion, that uh, this guy, Jorge Valdano, he's an Argentine player, world cup winner. He used to be the GM for Real Madrid. And he said, um, football is a state of emotions. And so, you know, a, a game of football could take you through a roller coaster, right? One minute you're, you know, you're, you're freaking losing your shit. Your heart rate's going the other minute. You're cool as a cucumber. And the other minute, like myself, I'm in like, I'll be like in the purposely putting myself in the kitchen, making myself a cup of coffee to not look at the final five minutes of a game. Cause I'm like, cause I'm so important that I'm going to jinx it. Right. So <laughs> it's a state, it's a state of emotion as he likes to say in, it's how we handle those emotions during certain games. Cause we, I think we could look back at a lot of games and say, okay, Manchester United, if we would have managed that game a little bit better. Right. And, and so on and so on. There's a few games like that. So that's what I'm worried about. Um, everything the players say is unity and focus and they, they have absolute trust in, in themselves. So I'm, I'm with that. And I, and I hope that to be true. And uh, Felipe, I'm I'm glad you know Valdano, uh, great player. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there on the on the youth. It's what's made this team so fun to watch, and and they get better so quickly at their age. I mean, you look at how much better Saka and Odegaard and Smith Rowe are performing than this time last year. Imagine if they improve that much again for this time next season. I mean, they're they're going to be a problem. But but I'm with you. There is a little bit of <laughs> paranoia is a good word. Yeah. that we've seen us kind of capitulate before and it, and it's always in the back of your mind. You know, in the Watford game, we sort of shut off at the end there, gave up an undeserved goal. Now, I know we were up three to one, but it still just puts you in those unnecessarily nervy situations for those last five minutes. And, and also, don't forget, we weren't super sharp at the start. They had the ball in the back of the net in 20 seconds in that game. Now, Dennis was ruled yes. offside, but it, it was a relatively close one. And to be honest, if he's in the same position, but onside, he's still scoring that goal. So we do have those little lapses where we're just not quite turned on. And when you're playing Premier League competition, guys who are that good can score goals in the blink of an eye. And those are what you have to avoid if you want to get consistent results. And and it's not to say we haven't got consistent results. We're on you know a 10-game yeah. stretch now of playing very well. Yeah. But we still have those nervy moments that every team has. But the focus should really be to minimize those. And I think that would be the takeaway if I'm Mikel Arteta and I'm in that locker room going through training this week. As as good as the three goals we scored were, and all three were really, really good, there were still moments where we weren't playing up to the standard we need if you want to be a Champions League team. Luckily, we have a lot of time in between games right now. We don't play again until Sunday, so we can kind of have a good conversation about that before what's going to be a really tough week. But there is still some stuff to work on. We're far from perfect, but that's what makes Definitely. it fun. You know, it, it's fun when your team's good, winning titles, winning trophies. That's like the peak of being a fan is that enjoyment of your team winning. But shortly behind that for me is when you when your team's been playing poorly and especially over an extended period and you start to turn the corner and gain momentum and you see the team building and getting better and improving. For me, as much as people want to focus on results, take a minute and enjoy what we've got because it's a it's a fun time with the team when they're making that turn and starting to turn into the team you've been hoping for them to be for years. And I think that's kind of the point we're at now, if we miss top four, everyone's going to be devastated that we didn't reach it this year, but 
if this team with kind of the expectations put on them back in August manages top four this year, there shouldn't be an Arsenal fan in the world that's unhappy. Now there'll be plenty of them on Twitter and they'll be loud as ever, but there should be no Arsenal fan that's unhappy going into the summer if we've qualified for Champions League in the four spot. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if, if you're upset about that, I mean, look, I and and you you know me to be a fairly optimistic person, and and I was kind of taking into consideration the, the current the form that we hit towards the end of the last season, and I thought to myself, if we if we stay healthy, in my mind, there's no reason we can't finish at the very minimum, you know, top six. You know, I know a lot of people panicked, you know, eighth and tenth, and and I completely understand why they were upset. I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing that because excuse me, not just based on our history, but even with the talent that we had on the field, you could absolutely make an argument that we should have finished above the eighth and 10th place respectively. But the, I, I predicted like in my mind and I was telling my friends, like I said, comfortably fifth Mm -hmm. is where I thought we were going to finish. So the fact that we're around that marker or potentially going to, you know, surpass, um, I think I think it'd be brilliant. And I, look, Jared, something that got brought up in uh, Talk Sport, I think it's called. Um, yeah, Talk Sport. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there is another word to that. And I'm I'm not making a light. I, I know that they're kind of controversial, and they have a tendency of uh, you know like just taking the piss out of fans essentially for clicks. But there's a, a video circulating with a I I don't know their names. I'm really sorry. Uh, lovely lady that is kind of known to be an Arsenal fan in O'Hara. I believe is the the Spurs guy, and and she mentioned that it would be an over over accomplishment, like it would be overachieving. Sorry for Arsenal to finish in the top four. And mm-hmm. look, I I think if you're looking at a current just current form, you might be like, no, it's it's not an overachievement because you know they're they're there. But I think if you go back and you look at the reaction after our summer transfer window, and then the three games. In the in, of the season started, you know how we started with Brentford without our, our strikers, you know mm-hmm. Chelsea and City, of course. I think making that remarkable comeback, and after the the summer that we had, where like nobody, no, like dude, I'm not gonna say nobody. I'm gonna say like ninety percent of fans were like, "Holy shit, what are we doing?" Mm-hmm. And you know we, we saw the heat Ben White got. We saw the heat Damiashu. Like, oh, why do we want like a, a mid table team City uh, right back? We uh, we saw the reaction when Ramsdale, like this is a fucking feel good moment to to your point. So I just oh. I just love that we are where we are. And look, I, I I share a group with with a big group with a lot of uh, mates of mine, and we've got two two friends of mine, and, and I'm gonna give them a shout out, Tim and AJ. I love them to death, and I disagree with them all the time. But it's just a simple, different way of watching football. Mm-hmm. To your point about enjoying things. They can point out and discuss Lacazette and say it's glaring that we need a striker. And I cannot deny that. We 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 know what we need. In the moment after a win, I could give a fucking I could care less, dude. I like, I don't care. Don't talk to me. <laughs> What's that? Holland is on his way. I don't give a shit. We just want a game. I'm focused on this. And I get like I'm like so in there. So I just I would like to encourage. Arsenal fans, don't look so much in the future and don't worry about what we do not have right now. I would love to encourage Arsenal fans, let's enjoy the moment, dude, because we got a group of players that are just, you know, hail end kids. We got Martinelli that 
was rejected by United seemingly three, four times. So shout out to their mm -hmm. talent ID, right? <laughs> and then we we got personalities like White, personalities like Aaron Ramsdale. It's a fucking, it's a cool time to be an Arsenal fan. Yeah. A cooler time than I can remember in many moons, dude. Absolutely. And they're an enjoyable team to watch play football for the most part. Great attitudes, great effort. They're just fun to watch. <laughs> Agent Odegaard is on it. So, Holland, if it wasn't for Odegaard, I'd say we have a 0% chance of him coming. Because we have Odegaard, I'd say we have a 1% chance of him coming. I won't say it's impossible. If we finish That's in fair. Champions That's League fair. and we have Odegaard, I'll give us a 99 to 1 shot. And if any sports books out there are taking it, I'll throw 10 bucks on it and hope we get lucky. Um, as we've reached the top of the hour, um, before we sign off, I do want to jump in. There's a few questions I've highlighted here. If anybody has any others, put them in the chat. We'll we'll try and get through a few here. We'll be on for a few more minutes. But there were a couple here, so I'll highlight them if you want to jump in here and, and see what you think. So the first one's from Moss. He says, who was our best new-gen Gooner signing for the long term? Odegaard, Ramsdale, or Benjamin White? Dude, I have a soft spot for different reasons for all of these players. Um, I'm look. I'm, I'm gonna go. My, my, I'm gonna vote for Udegaard, and it's not only just based on the current form that he has, but because I'm an avid watcher of La Liga, and I've kind of seen his trajectory and what he's gone through uh, at um, at Real Madrid, wanting him, not wanting him, sending him to Real Sociedad. And here's the funny thing: is this this player has been like. If you're not gonna let me play, just let me leave. If you're not gonna let me play, let me right. leave. And they kept they kept on loaning him out, and they, they kind of kept him there maybe a year or two longer than than he really should have been. Um, and so he's been through one hell of a comeuppance in in the world of football. You know, he's been in the spotlight since I think he was 15, 16, mm -hmm. publicly kind of slated by Ancelotti when he when they signed him as a publicity signing. So he's been through a lot. I think he has thick skin to come out from that. You know, we we've seen a lot of players that you you they go through public criticism and maybe they don't handle it as well. And so we are fortunately fortunate for us we have a lot of young players that had really good heads and then mm -hmm. i'm going to say the one that was a little shaky that had like a, a history of not being the the best team player you know in, in gwendo it's it's almost like Arteta just like zoned in and said nah we're we this is coming out of the club we can't have this and i i like wendo as a footballer i i really do i i i rate him probably higher than you know in the in the higher spectrum of midfielders and i do think he has a, a future to be a really good uh, player but his attitude kind of let him down so three excellent choices there but I, i'm going with Udegaard, man just because i've been watching this kid play on and off for a very very long time um and more so than than white and ramsdale because i i within the league i don't have a tendency of watching every game within a league I kind of pick and choose. So it's like Arsenal specifically, uh, Milan specifically in Italy, and then Spain, like I'll, I'll watch what I actually like Real Sociedad just because of how they started their their history and their um, their rivalry against Athletic Bilbao uh, because they, you know, for a very long time, they were just recruiting players from the Basque area. And Athletic Bilbao still does that that there's like no foreign players. And I think it was pretty cool. And because one thing led to another, I'm like, Oh, look, that's a pretty good team. Cause I didn't want to be 
that guy to support uh, Barcelona or, you know, Real Madrid. So I kind of went <laughs> with the odd choice and little did I know Udergaard was going to play there. That is my extremely long-winded <laughs> answer to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on this one too. For me, I would agree it's Odegaard. He's just such an elegant footballer. When you look at somebody and just say that's a class player, you see it every time he's on the pitch. And he's also a guy who almost every game, I feel like, has been his new best game. He just improves quickly. He involves everyone else. And now the team focus on him. Anytime we gain possession, almost immediately, the look is to find Martin Odegaard in the middle so he can turn and get the attack moving. He's also the guy who's probably doubled in value. Would we sign him for $30 million? And it's, it, it's, it's unfortunate for Real Madrid fans that they have a setup where... In in the year 2030, they're going to be starting Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro in midfield. They refuse to change those three, and much to their detriment, because I guarantee you when Modric leaves, it sure would have been really nice to have Martin Odegaard to step into that spot. And they sort of passed on that, which is their prerogative and, and very much Arsenal's benefit, so I'm very happy to have him. All right, I'll move on to the next one here, Mike. This comes from Chris. He says, injuries make me nervous, you and me both. But what's the over-under on Xhaka getting another red card? I think, you know what? <laughs> I've, I've noticed that Xhaka has been on his best behavior. And I've noticed that when any like controversy happens, it's almost like his teammates are playing bodyguard <laughs> for him. Like, 100%. Instant, yeah, there was an incident in the Watford game. I had a, a quick, if that was Shaka, it would have been a red moment. Mm -hmm. And it was just, there was like some small tackle and Shaka, you know, got up and he was, he was saying something. He turns his back and this Watford player comes through and shoves him right and from the back. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what the shit? Right. And immediately Shaka like turns around and looks at him. And I think it's Gabriel. That's just, you know, it's Thomas party. I'm around. I'm like, Hey, yeah. Hey, get your ass over here. So I, <laughs> he's, he's, He's a few things. Look, I, I, he's a few things. Yeah. yeah. Like, where do I, how much time do you have? While we discuss Ryan <laughs> um, I think his own teammates are taking accountability and, and kind of mining his, his personality on the field. But also as of recently, he's not spending that much time in our, in our like defense, like for a really long time. We relied on a on this kind of system where Tierney bombed up on her left and, and Shaka became our left back, or he would just tuck in between mm -hmm. our center backs. We're kind of been seeing him playing a little bit more advanced and Partey staying a little bit deeper. And I think that worked out for the both of them because Partey has a as a quick trigger when it comes to releasing the ball in transitions, which helps us get the ball into our final third quicker, which now our our counterattack seems to be like substantially better than what it was with the slow buildup that we had. And Shaka doesn't find himself in that situation as much, at least mm -hmm. from what I could tell the last three, four games where he's like, I need to be the defender. Like if we, if we even just like go back and watch that um, first Watford goal, he was, he was there, but he wasn't the left back. It was actually Gabriel Martinelli essentially was our left back mm -hmm. at that moment. You know, Tierney dropped into the middle of the, of the, uh, box to defend and so he's I think he's kind of staying out of those situations a little bit better so as long as he doesn't have a shock a moment um, I, I think he's safe man I'm, I'm gonna say he's safe for the rest of the season I, I think he's gonna 
That's probably the biggest prediction I've had. That's that's right. the bold yeah. prediction of the show. I, absolutely. I, of all I, the I predictions we made. I could tell you Arsenal will finish third and Shaka won't get a red card and you'll still say Shaka getting the red card is the bigger bigger prediction right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it would it would be the most detrimental if he gets a straight red where we miss him for three games. It, it, it's going to hurt bad. So we'll hope we avoid it. We <laughs> <laughs> of course the gerbil with mikey couldn't be here to podcast with us but the gerbil could be in the in the live chat he's he's ever life. present at all he's times in yes. all things arsenal i don't so, know for those of you in the chat have ever had a a manager that just micromanages the shit out of you like you just feel <laughs> like he's always around anyways i digress i just, just completely <laughs> random I wish I had a bell to ring. So, <laughs> so we've got a couple here that kind of tie into what you were just saying. So I'm just going to go through both of them really quickly. Uh, both from our friend Moss. He said, people are starting to get on KT. What's up with that? So I, I think it's a combination of things. You know, he, he's played a lot of minutes this season. He may be starting to lack fitness a little bit or just maybe need a little bit of a break. Uh, that said, I think he's going to get one. We've got three games in eight days. I think it's very likely that Sambi Lakanga or I'm sorry, Nuno Tavares will start in that spot uh, for at least one of those. And and KT in general, he's a solid performer. He's got, you, you've got to give him a little bit of a break at some time. No one plays perfectly. And I thought it tied in well with what Mike was just saying, that we sort of changed the formation and the way he's used a little bit, where instead of having him forward all the time where Xhaka fills in that space, we've seen Xhaka very far forward. So it's kind of changed his role a little bit. And it may just be a matter of taking a little bit of time to, to adjust to that. But I don't think it's any sort of long-term issue. He's still one of our consistently top performers and one of the favorites to be the captain next year. So I'd kind of take this little run of maybe not quite being in form with a grain of salt. I'm not too worried about it. The other question he asked was, do you think Nuno or Sambi needs a match? It's been a while. Uh, Nuno, yes. I think he's likely to get one for what I just said. I think KT will get a bit of a break. Sambi, I'm a little less sure on. There's such a drop-off. And he's a very talented young player, and I like him for the future. But there's a significant drop-off now when you take Jaka or Party off to bring him on. So with the fixture congestion, I could see him maybe getting a start in one of the next three. But in general, I don't think we're going to see him start unless uh, we have some sort of other issue or a Jaka red card where he's absolutely uh, necessary. And yeah, uh, the that- final question we're going to do, uh, I'm going to go to Matthew here. We're We're getting on towards... 515 my time so we're going to cut it here quickly but I do want to get this question out for you Mike uh from Matthew D'Souza said does Arteta trust the squad enough to rotate or will he play the best 11 every game from here on out uh, we're playing finals so I, I think we're he's going to play the plus 11 he can as long as they seem fit so um I don't think he's going to do the rescuing thing that he did with like Partey when he came back from Liverpool and he he looked you know, like 60% the player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, it's going to, it's going to literally require one of the players just to look completely gassed. If I'm looking at, excuse me, Partey is more of a freak accident type of guy. So if, I, mm-hmm. if I'm looking at players that might potentially come out because of fatigue or a knock, I'm thinking Tierney has a history of that. Unfortunately, in, in the league is demanding. The only thing that's saving us currently is that we're playing once a week, but mm-hmm. we do have to make up a few games so i do think that towards the end of the season like you know this you know march april we are going to have two three weeks where we're going to play three games you know we're going to be playing those midweek games so but like i don't i like lacazette he 
he's good for 60 minutes. So it seems every single game. And then he subs on Eddie and Ketia. Uh, Smith Rowe, who is the other person that suffers from, you know, small knocks here and there and needs a rest. Martinelli is there on the left. And, you know, he he found his uh his love, the goal again, which was really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Saka, that boy doesn't seem to ever uh, gas out. Same as uh, Granit Xhaka doesn't seem to ever gas out. Fitness wise, I think Ben White played every single game last mm-hmm. season for Brighton. So um, if I'm less looking at those players, I'm just looking at the left back with Tierney that might potentially been forced to to rotate. But I, I don't think he would choose Nuno to uh, replace Tierney a pinch. I mean, and I'm not basing it solely on his performance versus Forrest because I know it was a pretty bad one. I will say that he had a stint in the league where he was doing the job pretty capably. And I mm-hmm. think maybe potentially things change because uh, Martinelli is such a high energy player and he covers that part of the field so well that to your point, reducing Tierney's, you know, output and, and attack and might potentially be doing the same thing with Nuno Nuno because, you know, he, he's an expl he was a winger essentially that defends every once in a while, every time we played, um, <laughs> And then I just really rammed it because Tomiyasu seems to be out for a few weeks. This comment from Moss FC, it did surprise me, if I'm being completely honest with you, that we went back to Cedric at right back because, you know, Moss FC comment is why can't Nuno play right back? Um, he did play there, I think, one game, but he did play there in, in Portugal, from my understanding. So I was really surprised that Cedric got ahead of Nuno on, on right back position. So it's totally random, but I saw the comment. I think it, it warrants a highlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with, will we rotate or will he stick with the best 11? You know, we heard from Arteta himself. He looks at it as 13 cup finals going in. So I, I think you're spot on. As long as everyone's fit, he's going to go ahead and, and, and stay with the best 11. We have every game possible to try and pick up all those points. Uh, looks like that's the end of the questions we have. So we're going to end it right there. Uh, thank you very much to everybody for tuning in. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, very lively chat. We always appreciate you guys. Mike, it's been great. Our schedules haven't matched up. I've been looking forward to getting back yeah. on a show with you for for quite a while. So <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I know you're always involved in a, a lot of things. You have another podcast you do. So if you want to give everybody a, a quick shout where they can find you, what you've got coming up. Yeah, uh, we're pretty much a, a weekly podcast and, you know, it's that's bittersweet because, you know, we do tend to miss out on some good reviews because if there's midweek games, we, we don't really budge our, our schedule too much because we are all, everybody on the podcast has kids and is married. So we have a very small pocket of podcasting time that we, that we could assist to. So it's once a week, every Monday, and it's seven o'clock my time, which is like three, four o'clock a.m. U.K., and then, you know, it's it's pretty late. It's like 9, 9 p.m. Central. I saw Moss. I think he said he was from Chicago, too. But it's called Not Another Arsenal Podcast. Um, we try, opposed to other podcasts, we don't have a lot of guests on. And it's not because we don't like other gunas. We actually, there's we have a really close, small circle. And we actually love the people we've had on. But we kind of adopted a we really like each other's company type of method to podcasting. And so when the four original people on the podcast that just, we just really enjoy each other's company and it turns into uh, a good, good laugh for the most part. So we got, we, we like to say often that Sebi and I uh, provide the chuckles. 
and then we got uh our good friend kelly and krista who are just lethal with how they dissect games they're very tactical mm-hmm. xg driven stat driven and so we we've we have a pretty decent balance so what kelly it's essentially a show of kelly and chris being experts and sebi and i just acting fools putting on our tinfoil hats as we like to say so <laughs> not another arsenal podcast um if you can i'd appreciate if you drop by yeah and if you haven't checked it out I have to say, and it's not just because Mike is one of my buddies. It's one of the more entertaining podcasts where it's a four person that has unbelievable chemistry. And I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching it. I usually catch at least the first half. It starts a little bit late my time at 9 p.m. And I go to bed pretty early, but I always enjoy dropping in and seeing what you guys are up to. Uh, For me, if you're looking for anything I've got coming up, really not much on the books other than here on the Gooners pod. You can find me on Twitter down there at... Uh, at JC underscore AFC for all your random Arsenal commentary and a little bit of statistical analysis here and there. But for today, that's where we're going to leave it. Thank you to everyone for joining in. We look forward to seeing you coming up soon for our uh, tough run of games next week. And as always, come on, you Gooners.